Hello, everyone, and happy Monday. I hope your, your day and your week are starting off well. Good morning, Angie. Hello from beautiful, the beautiful land of Kansas. Yes, it is absolutely beautiful this morning. Um, the temperature was in the high 40s. It felt great. Uh, it was very foggy, though. Uh, reminded me of, of where I grew up in California. It was very foggy there all the time. We didn't get snow delays. We got fog delays. <laughs> all right. Let's get into this. Um, we're going to be talking about prayer this morning. Uh, we had our, our first Sunday of the month service yesterday, so that is a little different in that um, we don't uh, uh, continue on with the teaching. We, we are mostly focused on, on worship and uh, corporate connection. And uh, so what, uh, hello, Chris. So what I would be doing typically on Sunday morning for this teaching, we're going to be doing today. So we're continuing the foundation series, and today we'll be talking about prayer. And uh, if you follow us on Sundays, you know that um, I typically will do a, a recap of this series. We're talking about foundations, and so I want to make sure to recap these and, and talk about them every single week until uh, we, we know they're sticking. And um, repetition is is what is going to to help these these foundations stick for us and and become uh, spiritual disciplines and and part of our, our discipleship, part of our walk with um, part of our walk with Jesus as disciples. And so um, we'll go ahead and jump into this. So the the first week we talked about uh, uh, the title was cornerstone, and we talked about Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Uh, he's the starting place for everything, the, the one who who placed uh, the everlasting kingdom in your hands. Uh, after that was camp life, and we talked about life in the wilderness. We focused in on uh, the rebellions recorded in the book of Numbers and how those rebellions hold up a, a mirror for us to, to see our own rebellions, ultimately coming to see uh, that it is imperative for us to remember what God has done for us, uh, who he has shown up for us as, uh, um, and, and to stay focused on, on the mission he's given us and, and to be reliant on, on God for everything. And uh, week three, we talked about the tabernacle. And with this, we looked uh, uh, closely at that, uh, what, what the structure was and what the worship was like and, and, talked a lot about God wanting to dwell with his people. So he made a way for that to be a reality through the tabernacle. And we also discussed how that was just the beginning and how and, and how God through Jesus uh, made way for us to become the dwelling place of God's spirit. Uh, through belief in Jesus Christ, we become the tabernacle, the dwelling place of, of the spirit of the most high. Uh, after that, we talked about the priestly anointing, uh, focusing in uh, really on Christ's priesthood and how that created a new class of, uh, of royal priests, uh, whereas the, the whole nation of Israel was called the royal priesthood in Exodus 19.6. Uh, now in, in Christ's new covenant, the title royal priesthood is, is reapplied to the church uh, it, it's reapplied to to us, and, and this means that all the sons of glory 
uh, can serve as priests. And uh, in Christ, the church becomes a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Following that, we talked about servant and son. Uh, and, and this was done on the first Monday of October. Uh, so if you didn't get a chance to watch it, um, you can do so uh, there. That's when that was done. Uh, we walked through a couple of chapters in Isaiah looking at uh, the servant of the Lord Jesus, how he showed up to serve, uh, not to be served, and how he did so as a son. And his act of service allowed us to to be brought into to be brought into the family and into sonship, which which means that. No matter what the mission is that God has called you to, you are there to serve and uh, you are serving in the authority and power of a son of the most high. And uh, when you go back, you'll know I talked about sonship being applied to to everyone, regardless of male or female. Uh, if if I could be the bride, ladies, you can be sons. So. All right. After that, we talked about altar and offering. Uh, we looked primarily at Hebrews 9 to be able to understand uh, what Jesus did for us as the, the ultimate and final offering that atoned for our sins and, and made way for us to enter uh, into the presence of God without fear. Uh, hello, Anne-Marie, and thanks for filling in for John today, Angie. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, after that, uh, we, we talked about praise and, and Angie led this one and she talked about, uh, about defining praise and, and to do so we have to be after the heart of God, uh, like David, uh, being called one after God's own heart is, is a mark on those who make their life a life of praise. Uh, we looked at Judah and his birth in, uh, Genesis 29, 35. And and really focused in on what that that looked like uh, in there. Uh, there were some big questions offered that day. Uh, she offered a lot of questions that that really were challenging. Uh, some of those being, "What choice will I make in the middle of opposition? Will I praise or will I shrink back?" As well as, "What am I doing with my praise?" Where, where am I placing worth? And those were, were powerful questions uh, to be that, that we can be answering every single day. Uh, next, she talked about uh, worship. Uh, and in Angie's discussion on worship, we started in Isaiah 6, uh, looking at the idea that we must exalt God to the point where we become small. And basically, next to the fullness and holiness of God, we should, we should feel small. It allows us to get back into right regard. Uh, and then then came what some of us may have seen as, as the trick question. Can you measure uh, the standard of worship by feeling God? Uh, if we based our level of worship in anything by feeling God, we are we're going to be let down. Uh, worship isn't about us. Uh, it, it is not about you and it's not about me. It's all about God. And we have to remember that. And then Angie got into defining worship and, and doing so as a sacrifice, reminding us that 
a, a sacrifice, the, the, the burning of flesh isn't going to feel good. That if we allow ourselves to, to sit in this space, it will cause us to ask Holy Spirit uh, the questions we believe to be difficult. Uh, but in reality, he is, he is longing to engage us in those questions. And again, there were some tremendous questions and challenging questions offered up. Uh, what am I demanding of myself first? Is my source of what Jesus is doing coming from today or the past? Am I up for great sacrifice? Am, am I up to be a, a continual living sacrifice? God wants a pure and spotless sacrifice. Am I going to give him what he's worthy of? Gosh, those questions are, are, are very challenging and, and really get you to a point where you have to stop and say, am I willing to do this? The, the, the cost counting at this point becomes a, a, a little different when we start looking at ourselves as a continually living sacrifice. So, that's a, that's a recap of, of the series. So uh, today we're going to talk about prayer. And this should be one of the things we see as foundational. And, and really a, a base thing that is just a part of Christianity. But in, in our, our, our purported spiritual maturity, do we really have an understanding of prayer? What are we supposed to know and understand about prayer? And I think I think that's an interesting question. Uh, what is to know and be understood about an action that can be so uh, frightening for for new and, and even seasoned believers alike? Thinking about questions like, what is it we gain in prayer? Are we supposed to gain anything at all? Uh, how do you think about prayer? And I believe this this question to be uh, the significant question of them all as it relates to prayer. What I choose to believe about prayer is, is going to, to really shape that activity for me. And for, for anyone I, I'm discipling uh, until I think uh, of it in a different way. This is the aspect of, of oneness that can't be missed in prayer life that as we grow in spiritual maturity and we take on the role of, of mothers and fathers in the faith, what, what we believe is what we're going to share with, with those that we are, are discipling, those that we are raising up. And, and what we are sharing with them is what gets caught. What you believe is going to inform the actions that you take. And in doing so, uh, those those actions are what is observed and what gets caught. And so we really need to look at what it is that we believe about prayer. Do you see prayer as a performance? Do you see prayer as a petition for God to perform? Do you see prayer as a time of, of conversation with God? Do you, do you see it as a relationship building or intimacy with God. Maybe all of the above, of the above perhaps something else entirely. Uh, and I'm not talking about prayer as if there is a, a right or wrong way. So 
I, I don't want us to to look at that and, and think that. Um, but there there are some things that we're going to talk about that you'll you'll want to um, be aware of. Um, I am wanting you to consider what it is that you believe about prayer, because as you enter into uh, being discipled, I hope that all of your beliefs are challenged in order to push you closer to Jesus and cement your faith. And I'm also wanting you to consider what you believe about prayer because discipling others will require you to be the challenger pushing others closer to Jesus. And so in, in all of this, though, I, I want us to see the power in, in the oneness of corporate prayer and, and to, to walk with a, a sense of that as, as the church, we are one and should be coming together to lift up prayers that uh, seek to, to mobilize and advance the body of Christ and, and setting aside self and, and the fleshly personal motives. And, and that's, that's really what I want us to take away from this today. Uh, so let, let's get started into this. Uh, uh, I want to look at prayer in the Old Testament, prayer in the New Testament, and, and then get into some of some of the other things here. So uh, a, a look at prayer in the Old Testament. We have to make sure that when when we're looking at this, we're, we're, we're understanding that this was written uh, uh, to an audience that uh, uh, lived before Jesus was alive, before he came, before the cross. And so when we think about this, we, we can't filter our thoughts uh, about prayer and this through the lens of, of, of standing on this side of the cross with, with our, our, our feet over here. And, and remember, when, when man was created, he was, he was made for fellowship with God. And then sin broke this, this intimate, direct relationship that was there. Uh, still, though, when, when God made covenant with Abraham, their relationship as, as covenant partners was, was direct also, at, at least in, in comparison to what was coming. You know, you can look at also at Abraham's prayer for, for Sodom and Gomorrah and and that was a, a noteworthy combination of boldness and persistence and at the same time, a, a recognition of his own smallness and, and inferiority next to God. And the same could be said of Jacob wrestling with the angel. Uh, but, but the boldness and observe in, in these, these two uh, uh people is is not to be mixed up as as familiarity in a sense that regard for who God was was completely abandoned because it wasn't there was still regard for God and who he was and biblical prayer is is really struck through with a recognition of the distance between the creator and the creature as a, a, of human sin and of God's grace. And I say the distance there because, again, we're talking about uh, uh, Old Testament. We're looking at Old Testament prayer here. And so uh, the basis of a person's uh, approach to God in prayer uh, is never simply man's search for God, but God's 
gracious initiative, uh, the establishing of covenant and the, the promise of, of help and deliverance on the basis of that covenant. And I want to make sure you catch that. So uh, I want to say it again because it was a lot. The, the basis of a person's approach uh, to God in prayer is never simply man's search for God, but God's gracious initiative, what he started, the establishing of covenant and the promise of, of help and deliverance on the basis of that covenant, not on the basis of your performance, not on the basis of how many good works you can do. It is because of God and what he did. And uh, just because we're talking about uh, old covenant doesn't mean that this portion doesn't still apply in the new covenant. It is this covenant relationship that gives us the credentials for prayer, that gives us our, our all access pass that we can wear that to, to, to come boldly. And, and so uh, in, in the, the patriarchal times, prayer was, was conjoined with sacrifice and obedience. And then at the time of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, uh, this marks another phase in, in the biblical development of prayer. Moses is, is not only the political leader of Israel, but he's, He's God's appointed mediator and intercessor for the people. And, and repeatedly, Moses pleads uh, the name of the Lord in the face of the, excuse me, in, in the face of the uncertainties of the Israelite journey through the wilderness and his own uh, people's unbelief and, and disobedience. And, and we looked at some of those out of the book of Numbers when we were talking about camp life. And uh, you can go back and, and check those out. Uh, so pleading the name of the Lord, uh, when, when we're looking at this at, at, at any time, at any point, should not be thought of as, as a formula. But in, in, in looking at what Moses did as a reminder to God of who he has revealed himself to be, in, in the revelation of himself, God made promises to his people and in prayer, Moses is, he's holding God to these promises. And, and we know that, that God does that. He directs us to do that because it's not that he needs a reminder from us, but it is, it is a faith builder for us to see the response of, of the love coming out of his heart. And we know that uh, Moses was not the, the only intercessor. There was uh, Aaron, Samuel, Solomon, and Hezekiah. They, they were among those who also interceded for the people. Uh, and then, you know, with the, the formation of the priesthood and the establishment of worship in the tabernacle and, and later the temple, the worship of God uh, seems to be characterized by distance. Uh, the Standard person wasn't allowed in the Holy of Holies to, to directly commune with God's spirit. And there is, is little indication that people personally prayed to God. And that is with the exception of uh, Deuteronomy 26 there in the beginning of, of that chapter. Uh, 
there, there really is nothing about prayer in, in all the instructions for worship given to the people. However, there, there is indication in the Psalms that uh, sacrifice, sacrifice and prayer, excuse me, would be coupled together. And, and many of the Psalms are, are remarkable for the way in which personal difficulties are acknowledged. Uh, they, they don't gloss over the struggles that they're having. And this could lead to what looks like uh, an argument with God. But there is, is an ultimate resolution of that conflict that you can see as they walk through that. And, and there's also the prophets. They also prayed. And, and what we see is that uh, God's word came to them in prayer. Jeremiah's life was characterized by times of conflict in prayer as, as well as more settled times of fellowship with God. At the exile, with the establishment of the synagogue, corporate prayer became an element of Jewish worship. God's face was, was sought in prayer. Uh, while after the exile, there is, there is an emphasis on spontaneity in prayer and on the need for devotion to be more than an emotionless routine. And so that's a look at prayer in the Old Testament. Very quick look. Uh, shifting over to looking at prayer in the New Testament. Um, teaching on prayer is, is really dominated by Christ's example and his teaching. Uh, when you examine it closely, Jesus's dependence on his, his father and his, his word as the, the, the mediator comes out in, in repeated prayer, culminating in his, his high priestly prayer that, that we'll look at shortly, uh, uh, the, the agony of Gethsemane and in the prayer from the cross. Did I, did I freeze or am I good? Okay. Um, Jesus' teaching on prayer, uh, particularly in the, the Sermon on the Mount, is to be understood as contrasting with the, the current Jewish practices and, and not necessarily with Old Testament ideals. Uh, a prayer is an expression of sincere desire. It's not to inform God of, of matters that he would, would otherwise be ignorant of and, and uh, as if he doesn't already know what's going on. And and also the potency of prayer is not affected by, by length or repetitiveness. Um, and we're going to discuss that a little bit more when we look at some of, uh, some of the difficulties in prayer. And uh, then, then the parables are, are another important source of Jesus's teaching, uh, emphasizing uh, persistence in prayer and, and the story of, of the persistent widow from uh, Luke 18. There is uh, simplicity and humility uh, when you look at um, the next portion of Luke 18, where, where the Pharisee and the tax collector are both praying and, and their, their prayers are recorded. And, and then there's also tenacity when you're looking at Luke 11, where the, the friend comes to the other friend in the middle of the night, banging on the door, asking for bread. And, and the friend says, no, I'm already in bed. My kids are in bed with us not getting up. 
the, the, the persistence though, uh, overcomes and that friend does get up and, and offer some bread. In the Lord's prayer, there is, uh, the blend of directness, our father, and even distance in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, the, the requests in the Lord's prayer are really concerned first with God, his, his kingdom and his glory. And then, uh, with the disciples needs for forgiveness and for, uh, daily support and deliverance. Uh, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit came, the disciples would, would pray to the father in the name of Jesus. We find that after the coming of the spirit on the day of Pentecost, the early church is characterized by by prayer under the leadership of the apostles. The church praises God for for the gift of His Son and His Spirit, and and petitions God in times of difficulty. And we see uh, in, in Paul's writing that uh, the theology of prayer is is really most fully developed. Uh, the New Testament. Uh, um, believers, those in Christ, are sons. The spirit who has has come to the church is is the spirit of adoption that enables us to to come to the Father, bringing all of our needs, all of the things that uh, that we believe we had need for, and then giving those petitions to God, and and letting that be it and not worrying. Prominent among uh, these needs are our deepening of faith in Christ, um, love for God, and a growing appreciation of God's love uh, in turn. Prayer is, is part of our armor against enemy attacks. Uh, effective ministry, we know, depends on the prayers of God's people. And, and we are, are sanctioned to pray for, for all sorts of things uh, and, and do so with thanksgiving and, and also to be free from anxiety. Uh, Paul's example in prayer is just as instructive uh, as, as the teachings he gives. We cannot forget that the church is a, a kingdom of priests offering spiritual sacrifices of, of praise and thanksgiving, but Christ is the great high priest. And, and that thought is, is really fully developed in Hebrews. Because of, of Christ's human sympathy, excuse me, because of Christ's human sympathy, the power of his intercessory work and his superiority over the old Aaronic priesthood, uh, we are encouraged to come to God boldly. Remember, we have that all-access pass and, and to find grace when it is needed. Prayer and obedience, they are, are linked both in the case of, of Christ who, who learned obedience by the things that he suffered and in, in the case of the church. The, the priesthood of the Old Testament, although ordained by God, was, was of purely uh, symbolic significance. The Old Testament high priest uh, 
could no more effectively intercede for the people than the blood of bulls and goats uh, could take away their sins. Nowhere in either the Old Testament or New Testament is there uh, any encouragement to pray to individuals other than God. Nowhere in scripture is it suggested that there is any other mediator between God and men except Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to look at some of the some elements of prayer. Uh, and uh, although prayer is, is typically uh, an unself-conscious activity in, in which the person praying devotes himself to God, uh, it is possible to distinguish some various elements in prayer. Uh, as as well uh, uh, will be apparent from the discussion of of, of the what we're going to look at here in a minute in John seventeen. Uh, praise it, it involves the recognition of who God is and what He does. It is giving God the glory, not in the sense of of adding to His glory, uh, which which would really be impossible, but of of willingly. Uh, recognizing God as God. Uh, typical expressions of such praise you can find throughout the Psalms. And when the recognition of God's goodness is in respect of, of what he has done for us as the ones praying or for others, uh, then, then the prayer is one of thanksgiving uh, for love. Life itself, for for the use and beauty of the physical universe, uh, for for Jesus Christ and and His benefit, and, and for specific answers to prayer, uh, confession uh, of sin in prayer recognizes the holiness of God and, and His uh, supreme moral authority, and together with the the personal responsibility of the one making the confession. Confession uh, involves, <coughs> excuse me, confession involves the the, the vindicating or, or justifying of God and, and an explicit and unreserved recognition of sin, both both as it comes out in, in sinful motives and personal temperament and as it comes out in, in action. Uh, we can look at David's confession of sin regarding Bathsheba. Uh, it, this is the classical biblical instance of a prayer of confession. Uh, petition also can be thought of as it concerns the one praying and also uh, as it concerns others when it is intercession. Uh, scripture never states prayer for yourself as sinful or ethically improper, um, as you can see from the pattern of prayer given in the Lord's Prayer, prayer for others is is an obvious expression of, of love for one's neighbor, uh, which is is fundamental to biblical ethics. So there's some of the different uh, elements that you can find in prayer. Some of the difficulties and problems, um, particularly when it looks when we look at a, a petition for for self in prayer we're going to look at some of that stuff and, and talk about that real quick um, how is we how we as the the created are are able to petition God and 
to receive answers to our prayers is a mystery that that scripture does is doesn't theorize about, uh, but it does assert as fact. Petitionary prayer is is a central thing to Christianity. Yet the the possibility of of petitionary prayer has presented difficulties for many. Uh, why does God answer some prayers and, and not others? Uh, I don't want to speculate on the sovereignty of God because that quickly will move into judging him. I will say it is necessary to keep in mind that that prayer is not to be thought of in uh, the, the mechanical uh, cold terms. Prayer involves personal relationship with God and, and ongoing intimacy. However, the the depth of personal relationship, again, does not override God's sovereignty to, to move and act how and where he chooses. Uh, this, this should in no way sway your sincere desire to pursue deep intimacy with God through prayer, though. Uh, the, the exciting part about prayer for me is that it is something that we get to grow in. When we are young in our faith, we, we don't know necessarily what to say or do because our understanding lacks depth in that we, we could think prayer is using some spiritual language that demonstrates a, a perfect theology and, and doctrine before or to God. And uh, unfortunately, this twisted view of prayer is not the fault of the young believer if, if that's what they are, are led to believe. It's the fault of the, the egotist standing on the platform looking for disciples unto themselves. That is the, the pharisaical way of, of praying loudly in the street and making a spectacle of, of religious devotion that is, is motivated by being seen and recognized by the people. And Jesus talked about this in, in Matthew 6, 5 and said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They, they, they got what they are seeking. They're seeking attention and they get that through this action. And this is this is one of those things that we have to make sure that. Uh, when you are starting to disciple others, what you believe about prayer, again, is extremely significant because. This is what is getting caught by those who are observing your actions and listening to the words that you're saying. Are those two things lining up or are they not? And so we want to make sure that they are. We want to make sure that they have a right understanding of prayer and, and pouring out their heart to God. One of the other uh, problems I've seen with prayer is, is thinking that my words aren't good enough or not knowing what to say. And, and this is a problem with prayer that I've run into in my own life, worrying that my words will not be good enough and, and that the people around me will judge me. And, and this is a problem, thinking that people will judge me for, for speaking what is on my heart to God. Uh, not only that, if I am asking Holy Spirit what to pray and he lays something on my heart, who am I to care what? people think, right? We need to be honest with ourselves and, and just call this a problem that we are going to deal with today. I, I watch 
as as people are paralyzed and lose their ability to speak uh, when asked to pray publicly. That even in a group where where you are asked to pray together over the top of each other, this this same thing comes out. And and, and so right now, I just want to to break that off of you in the name of Jesus. You are a new creation placed in Christ. And, and such fear is, is not your leader. You are led by the Holy Spirit, and he is directing you with the words to pray. Partner with him. Open your mouths and release your words. One of the other difficulties is, is seeing prayer as, as like rubbing the genie's lamp, right? Some people will view prayer with an unrealistic expectation of immediate or future return as if they are rubbing a genie's lamp. Now, I, I, I don't want to discourage expectation, but there, the expectation I'm talking about here is that of a wish. Uh, yes, we should hold expectations in prayer. Uh, uh, the difference here is, is faith and, and belief in God. Uh, and not just coming to him looking for materialistic things. Yes, we should hold expectations in prayer. Uh, but when we view God as one who grants wishes because of some materialistic desire, then we are uh, in errancy that's dangerous for the, the future of, of our own faith. And what happens if your wish isn't granted? Who will you blame? If we hold this belief that my every wish and want is fulfilled because I prayed, we are either going to blame God for not coming through or we'll blame ourselves. Uh, Self-blame due to not enough good works or some sin that God is holding against us and, and therefore not performing for me. You can see that this expectation is dangerous because it, it turns us against God. And then there's bargaining. I know most of us have seen this in a movie or on TV at least once. Uh, the hero of the story uh, is in some impossible situation and, and prays something to the effect of, God, if you will get me out of this, I will do... Fill in the blank, whatever that is. And the story then shows the hero displays some great courage and, and pulls out the win in whatever the win looks like. Uh, then there's there's no further further mention of the bargain made with God. Uh, and the bargain made with God, albeit without God's agreement in the first place. The hero goes on with life, likely receiving recognition for said valorous act. Um, if there is mention of it, we don't get to see the follow through, uh, because that isn't what is, is moving the story along. So it, it's deemed insignificant and doesn't make it into the story. And we've all seen that, that people will take their understanding of scripture from movies without any research of their own. Again, dangerous. Uh, imagine with me for a, a moment, see yourself standing physically in front of God, the one 
who created everything, including you, and saying something to the effect of, God, if you will do blank, I will follow you or believe in you or whatever the bargain is. Or even whatever whatever it is you're viewing as a bargaining chip to sway God, again, to perform on your behalf. For me, this feels like treating God as, as some sort of, of wind-up toy that we can in some way convince to perform when we choose and then go away after the performance is concluded. That is a, a, a level of megalomania that I don't want to be in the same city with. Yet this does take place. It does happen. And it, it, it's a problem. And we need to, to look at all these things and, and make sure that they aren't, display, aren't on display for the people that we are sharing oneness with. We don't want this to be what is led with. So I, I want to I want to read out of John. I want to read the Jesus's what what is titled his high priestly prayer. But I want to back up to uh, some verses in, in chapter 16 first. So we're going to start in John 16, 23, and then we're going to read through the end of chapter 17. And this is kind of an odd place to start. It starts in the middle of a section, but I, I think it's important to, to catch some of these things so we understand what's going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. John 16, 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you, give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. We're going to stop there for a second. I am not alone, for the Father is alone. He's predicting what is going to happen when he's crucified. The disciples are going to, to scatter and leave him alone to where it physically looks like he's alone, but he's not alone. And this should blow out a lot of the ideas and things that are preached and sung about that says that that the father turned away from Jesus when he was on the cross. Jesus himself said right here, 
I'm not alone for the Father is with me. Don't miss these things. Don't miss these, these little things that, that give us truth to be able to stand on, to know that Jesus was not abandoned on the cross. The Father was right there with him. And, and Jesus is telling us plainly that. He goes on in verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. He's, he's telling them these things, and they should be able to find peace in him. The one who is going to have violence done against him, we can find peace in. This is a, a, another area where, where the kingdom turns the world upside down. And it is, it is a mystery to understand how in the violence of what Jesus suffered, we can find peace in him. Throughout this, this entire thing that, that Jesus is setting up and telling the disciples about what is going to happen, they'll be scattered. They're going to leave him alone. He's going to look like he's alone, but he's not. And through all of it, they can have peace in him. He goes on and says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Chapter 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you, whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence and with the glory that I, have, that I had with you before the world existed. Something else that uh, anybody listening, because he went straight from talking to the disciples into this prayer. Anybody listening is going to catch on to the fact that he is talking about uh, glorify me in your own presence and with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before creation was, was spoken into existence, there was the, the relationship. There was the, the glory of, of God. The, the Father, Son, and Spirit together. And they shared that before the world existed. And, and I, I can only imagine that this is one of those moments where the disciples are like, wait, what? What did he just say? But at the same time, having to stop themselves and say, I, I need to stay in this moment to listen and to devour every word and then and then later think about these things. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, 
and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm sure that in, in thinking about these things later and really in, in this is where we can't misregard for who God is. Jesus is saying that he is glorified in those that believe in him in in those that he's talking about here. All mine are yours, talking to the Father, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus is glorified in believers. And that is is an incredible thing that it's it's hard to feel worthy of of that. But we have to understand that we are, are, are sons of God. We have been brought into the family through the cross. And, and because of the blood of Jesus, we are worthy. And we are, are, are worthy of, of what Jesus is saying here because of his blood, because of what he did, because of the covenant he made. Going back to what we talked about earlier, the, the, the basis of, of prayer for us is not in our search for God, but in God's initiative to, to make covenant with us, to make a way for this to happen. He goes on in verse 11 and says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. He makes the statement, I'm no longer in the world, but he's standing in front of him. They're listening to him, looking at him. If if you go back and listen to what Angie talked about yesterday out of the book of Ruth and, and where are your feet? Jesus knew exactly where his feet were in this moment. Is he physically on earth, physically about to, to fulfill the mission that he came to do, to, to suffer the, the abuse of of the the creature of the the created for the created to give birth to new life and then to to have breath blown into that new creature that we are simply by just believing that that is fact and that that is what Jesus did I am no longer in the world. Jesus knew where his feet were. He knew where he stood. He knew what was going on. He was very aware of that. Yes, you, 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 you should be led to that question, where are my feet? Absolutely should be led to that question. He goes on and says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is an interesting thing. He's talking about the, the oneness that he shares with the Father and how he desires for us to have that as well. And then says that he's he's coming to the Father and the, the things that he speaks in, in the world now, he does so that we could have a joy fulfilled in us because of him, because of what he's saying, because of what he did. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, we, we have to remember that uh, we were we were made for earth. There's a new heaven, a new earth coming. But this is not talking about that. It is talking about this. This enslavement to sin. And, and the, the systems that man has set up and the things that we have grabbed hold of and, and made part of our lives that, that kept us in bondage and, and kept us viewing ourselves as separated from God. This is what he's talking about. The world. We have to remember that. We can't. We can't start to to look at this with and. Uh, escapist mentality. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Keep them from the evil one. Excuse me. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that that brings us all the way down to where we are now. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So repetition is one of those things in scripture that we need to make sure that we are identifying and grabbing hold of. Again, Jesus is talking about that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Talking about oneness again. And something else to catch here is, is that Jesus is saying, Father, you are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We need to be putting the, the, the glory, the majesty, the, the, the power of God and his kingdom on display so that the world may believe that we have been sent by God believing these things this the, the belief is is one of those central things that we can talk about and we can say we have belief and that we do actually believe in, in what the bible says but do our actions follow that up do our actions back up what it is we say we believe 
this this goes back to what I, I talked about earlier in in challenging what it is you believe about prayer. We need to be challenging our, our beliefs across the board. If if we are counting the cost and and looking at what it is we truly believe, and and being able to take action in that, there's a disconnect there. And and that disconnect needs to be examined with Holy Spirit. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. Again, he's just going on here. And the glory that the father gave to Jesus, he has given to them. He has given to to those who believe. And, And not... Not for the sake of individual glory, but for the sake of oneness and being and being his body, being the church, shining the light on the hill for all to see and point to Jesus. Where are we here? Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Again, this is more repetition of oneness here. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Again, repetition of going back to uh, there, the, the connection of, of Father, Son, and Spirit before the foundation of the world. And also uh, a, a petition for us to be where Jesus is so that we can see his glory. Verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is an incredible prayer. And the the theme of, of, of oneness throughout needs to be something we talk about. It needs to be one of those things that are caught. It, it needs to be uh, uh, something we are putting on display. Prayer cannot be about self. Over and over, Jesus is talking to the Father about oneness, that we would have that the same as the Father, Son, and Spirit. Selfless, not selfish. In our our prayers of oneness, we are doing away with self and turning our attention and passion toward oneness. God knows and, and will take care of our, our individual needs. Uh, Jesus said so. And so that should settle the matter. It should settle the matter in us. If your uh, soul is still bearing that burden, it's time to ask yourself what you believe. If you want to focus on self, focus on putting yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice. Focus on on praying about what it looks like 
for you to show up in the fullness of Christ and the anointing that you carry. Focus on not taking the, the chicken exit, as Angie likes to call it, when God shows you what to do and tells you what to say. A apart from that, we're to share all things in common. We are one body, the bride of Christ, the church. It's time we start praying like it. It's time that we, we focus on oneness, that we, we all have Christ in us, but moreover, we are all in Christ. You want to see the power of prayer? Put self on the altar, petition for the sake of oneness. How is, is your prayer life going? It's simple. I examine your prayer life with Holy Spirit. What does he highlight? Ask questions in the pursuit of deepening intimacy in oneness. And then ask yourself, how is my prayer life going to change? Father, I, I thank you for the all-access pass that we wear to be able to come before you, to be able to lay out petitions, to be able to confess sin, to be able to have conversations, to ask questions, to be led to, to what it is that you want us to take action in. I thank you for the, the opportunity that we share with, with people, the oneness that we have to be able to enter into without judgment, without having to, to worry about the, the things that we're sharing when we pour our hearts out to be able to be sharpened in those times, to be able to, to receive that well, knowing that the, these people that I am sharing oneness with, that we are all sharing oneness with, have our best interest in mind. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you to be a part of that. Father, if anyone is, is suffering with, with some of the things that hold them back in prayer, just let them be filled with, with confidence today, right now in this very moment, with confidence and boldness to just pour their hearts out to you, to be a, a, a continual sacrifice on the altar, the living sacrifice. Where, where, where self is stripped away and, and oneness is put in its place. We're all so much stronger and so much more alive when we, we take the masks off, come out of isolation and, and just fully immerse ourselves into oneness to bring the fullness of who you have created us to be, what you have anointed us with into oneness. I don't want to miss out on, on what the rest of the body is carrying that you have gifted. And so I, I pray for, for strength and for boldness in people today. In Jesus' name, amen.
thanks for for being on. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about the foundation series, and uh, we are going to continue with this next Sunday. Uh, in the meantime, we will be back on Wednesday morning uh, with Kingdom Indivisible, and Angie will be on Friday with Life Up Here. Love you all. Bye.